following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. The cry of my heart. The cry of my heart is that revival would come to Washington, D.C. and to America. Revival is not complicated, it's very simple. Revival isn't some far-off, nebulous idea. It's very practical. Usually I hear people talking about revival as though it were some, some strange gift from God that he would occasionally pour out for his people. That's not true. God is always ready to give revival. God is always prepared to pour out his Holy Spirit in power. Jesus died on Calvary so that sinners could be saved. Do you think God would withhold the Holy Spirit when he commands us to receive the Holy Spirit? No. If revival is not happening, it's my fault. It's your fault. It's because we have positioned ourselves in a way with the Lord God of heaven that he cannot pour out revival for us because we would not know what to do with it and we would totally misuse it. No, revival has certain key understandings. They're straight out of Scripture. And if we miss these key understandings, we will block revival. We will block God from doing what he wants to do for us, us and in the church. I was trained as a pastor in what I refer to as relational theology or a therapeutic model of pastoral ministry. I've talked to a number of people after gaining this understanding, and each of them has said to me, yes, that's basically the model that we use in our church. Well, what's the model? The model is that the pastor is there as a coach. And as a coach, it's his job to give counsel, to help people on their journey, to nurture, to care for, to give direction to, but then it's up to the player to decide what he's going to do with that and if he's going to execute those directions. Well, in the modern church, we have come to believe that you can be nurtured out of your sin. You can be loved out of your sin. I heard a man talking about this, and he said, conversion is a long, long process, and it takes many years. And people slowly grow until finally they're converted. And they're going to sin all the rest of their life. Well, that understanding blocks revival from coming in America. So what are the key understandings that we must have as we refocus 
so that revival can come in our lives? Well, the most basic key understanding is that salvation is literally salvation from sin. You move from a position of rebellion to a position of obedience. Now, what does the word obedience mean? In the Greek, it's made up of two words. It literally means under, to hear. In other words, to come under hearing so that you stay under the word you have heard and put it into effect in your life. That's what obedience is. It is to come under hearing. So we move from a place of rebellion against God to a place of hearing him command us to repent. Jesus came preaching the good news of the gospel. What was the good news? At that point, the good news was repent and God will forgive your sins. And to forgive is in the Greek, aphemi, meaning to remove your sins. In other words, Jesus was saying, the kingdom of God is already coming. The royal authority of God is coming. He was the royal authority of God. And he was saying, repent, and your sins will be removed. So the most basic understanding of revival is that it is salvation from sin as you stay under the word from the scripture that is spoken to you. Now, in that case, conversion, meaning to be totally changed from one thing to another, to be new, And in the scripture, in the Greek, the word new means to create something that never before existed. So, to be made new in Christ. So, conversion is an instant process, not a long process. It's a decision of the conscience that we make that we will go under the hearing of the word of God we will leave our sin. We will put it away by the power of the blood of Jesus. So you understand you cannot grow out of sin. Sin must be cut off. Jesus only knew one way to deal with sin, and that was by amputation. So revival happens when the preacher and the members begin to understand that all sin must be cut off now. All sin will cause us to be lost. So it is necessary to understand this that you're never going to sin again. You are, you are resolved in your heart and your mind, 
I am no longer going to walk in sin against Almighty God. I am not going to be in rebellion against God. I am going to obey Him. I'm going to stay under His Word. I'm made into a new creature. And by the power, the supernatural power of God working in me, I'm born from above. We'll get to that in a moment. Now, I want to look with you in the scriptures, in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and in chapter 1, he begins, Jesus Christ, our Lord, verse 5, through whom we received grace and apostleship for obedience of faith among all the Gentiles in behalf of his name, among whom you are also called by Jesus Christ. So Paul, at the very beginning of the book of Romans, lays out very clearly his purpose for writing this book. And the purpose is that each person would come under the teaching of his word would walk in obedience to God, would leave their sin, would walk clean. And then we find in verse 16 of chapter 1, for I am not ashamed of the gospel from the Christ because it is the power, that word power in the Greek is dunamis, from which we get the word dynamite, It is the dynamite from God for salvation to all believing ones, both to Jew first and to Gentile. Indeed, righteousness from God is revealed in it by means of faith unto faith, as it is written. Now the righteous man will live by faith. He'll no longer live by the law. He will no longer walk in disobedience. He will walk, pardon me, he will walk in obedience to the commands of God because he is now converted. He is changed. Now what becomes very clear in verse 17, let's read it in context. Indeed, righteousness from God, that is innocence, from God is revealed in it by means of faith unto faith, as it stands written, now the righteous will live by faith. The next verse seems like an abrupt change of topic, but he is contrasting what happens when a man is converted and when a man is not converted when a man has not been changed. See, revival happens when a man is converted, when he sees his true condition before God, and he says, I don't want to die. I want to live. The good news is that there is an avenue of escape. So, verse 18, For God's wrath is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, the unrighteousness of men 
those holding down the truth in unrighteousness. Christians today in America are holding down the truth in unrighteousness. What do I mean? Well, revival comes as we are converted, as we are converted now, and we leave our sin by the power of the blood of Jesus, not by white-knuckling it, by the power of the blood of Jesus. We are changed into a new creature. If we are not changed into that new creature and we continue to walk in our wickedness, we may call ourselves a Christian. But the fact is we are then under the wrath of God and we are holding down the truth of God in unrighteousness because we say, it's too hard, I can't do it. A man said that to me last week. And I said to him, Sir, it's not that following Jesus is hard. It's that following Jesus when you're unconverted is hard. You have to be converted. You have to be made new. Now, when you continue in the book of Romans, into chapters 2 and 3, we find something very startling. This is the normal condition of a person. Your condition. My condition. Romans, the third chapter. Both Jew and Gentiles are all under sin. Verse 10. Just as it stands written, there's not a righteous man, not even one. There is no one understanding. There is no one seeking God. Every conceivable man turned away. Together they became morally depraved. There is no one doing what is right. Well, he continues in this vein. What's he saying? That every person is under the judgment of God. And the judgment of God is very clear. If you look with me first John the third chapter every one verse six every one who continues remaining in him does not keep on sinning. Everyone sinning has not seen him, neither has he known him. Little children, you must not let anybody deceive you. The one continually doing the righteousness is righteous, just as that one is righteous. The one continually doing the sin is out of the devil, because the devil sins from a beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, so that he may destroy the works of the devil. Everyone having been born out of God does not continue to sin, because his seed continues to remain in him, and he is not able to keep on sinning, because he has been born out of God. 
And then if you go with me to Romans, the sixth chapter. Romans, the sixth chapter, the last verse in chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of grace from God is life eternal in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's be very clear. Revival is not complicated. It simply requires that salvation be granted by conversion. And if you are not converted and you call yourself a Christian, you are preventing the truth from being known. You are walking in unrighteousness. Revival simply means I've come back to life in Jesus Christ and I'm obeying, I'm staying under his word, I'm staying under his teaching. I have left my rebellion and I have become obedient. All sin is put away forever. The intention is to never sin again. Now, First John tells us that we may sin but it's an occasional, it's not a habitual. It's once. And we're told that we have an advocate with the Father and he will purify us from all unrighteousness. So it's not something we keep going back to. You are either saved from all sin or you are lost. It's that simple. Now this understanding is necessary for your own salvation but it's also necessary in order for you to see that others are truly lost who continue to walk in their sin. Sin will take us to hell. The wages of sin are death. How can I have a burden to pray for someone else? How can I have any sense of urgency in my heart about sharing the gospel. If I think that all they need to do is grow closer to Jesus, if I think that I can just love them and nurture them, a man said to me yesterday, you know, I want simply by the way I live that people will come to understand what it means to be a Christian. I said, well, that doesn't happen, does it? I mean, he couldn't give me any examples of that ever taking place. Why? Because conversion comes out of someone praying. It comes out of an urgency in the heart. It comes out of an agony of the soul. People are not making progress toward Jesus by going to church. People are not growing closer to Jesus by going to church when they walk in sin. I'll be so bold as to say, people do not grow closer to Jesus by praying and reading the scripture if there is known sin in their life. There's only one way to grow closer to Jesus. Confession, repentance, and cutting off sin, and coming in submission, surrender, 
to Jesus. Until we begin to see people are actually guilty before God. I know, everything is so homogenized today, we look at everybody and say, well, we're all in this together and we're all making progress. And No, we're not. That's a lie. Just because technology is advancing does not mean that morality is advancing. Because it's not. It's going the other way. So until we begin to see that people are truly lost, until we begin to see that people that we love are literally going to drop into hell, there will be no agony of heart on our part. So for revival to to take place, You're going to have to stop being patient with your sin. And you're going to have to stop being patient with everybody else's sin. The cry is for conversion, for a change, for a transformation to be made into a new creature in Christ Jesus. Not the same old, same old. Not the pastor as our wonderful coach. I'm not a coach. I'm a preacher of righteousness. I'm a confronter of sin. Do I love men and women? Yes, I love them with all my heart. That's why I have to confront the sin and say, stop, warning, stop. If I'm in a burning building and I go searching the rooms and I find an office where they're still all working, Am I going to stand and quietly say to them, Hey, y'all, you probably need to leave. There's a fire in the building. And they're going to say, Don't bother us. We've got work to do. We can't afford the time to go out. But if I walk into that room and I scream at the top of my voice, Fire! 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 They're going to run for their lives or they're going to stay and die. Revival is when we stop talking softly and we stop conjoling and we stop nurturing and we start identifying the fact that this person is actually hell-bound, lost. The wrath of God is upon him. I want to walk further in this, but before I do, let me stop for just a moment. Is God's wrath on you? Have you been converted? Or are you just working on it? The cry of my heart is that you would be converted now in the name of Jesus Christ, that you would recognize your sin and you would walk away from it now and that you would not go back to it because in revival we need people who know how to pray and who understand that it is a saved person's Christian duty to win other people to Jesus what is the main duty of the church 
to win others to Jesus. There is no other commission. The commission given in Mark and in Matthew is the same. We're to go to all people. We are to bring the gospel to them. There's no commission to build buildings. There's no commission to hold conferences. There's no commission to do training classes. All of that is secondary and focused on the one single command of Jesus. Go and make disciples. So the focus of revival is always the mission. Prayer meetings. Why have they died? Because somebody in the prayer meeting spent 20 minutes praying about Aunt Molly's sore toe. And everybody said, give me a break. I'm out of here. And they didn't come back next week. Or they spent the whole time, oh, there's a promise in the scriptures. Let me read it for you quickly, could I? It's found in... uh, and first John. No, it's found in the Gospel of John. John 15. Let me read this for you. If you may remain in union with me, and my rhema may remain in you, you will ask whatever you may desire, and it will happen for you. <clears throat> okay, I have a promise that I can pray for a new car. If I remain in union with Jesus and and he remains with me, and, and obviously Jesus is with me, he's always loving me and caring for me, loves me unconditionally, right? So I can ask whatever I want, and Jesus is going to give it to me. So let's get a picture of that car up on the refrigerator, and let's say every day, that car belongs to me. That car is mine. I stand by faith. I will have that car. That's not what it's about. That's a total misuse of this promise. If you read the context of this promise, John chapter 15, verse 5, what does it say? I am the vine, you are the branches, the one remaining in union with me, and I with him. This one bears much fruit, because apart from me you cannot do anything So I'm to remain in Jesus in order to produce fruit. Now, if you look at the whole context of this passage, you'll find verse 8. By Jesus saying, whatever you ask, whatever you desire, it will happen for you. Verse 8, by this my Father was glorified that you may bear much fruit, you will prove to be my disciples. What did he call the disciples to be? Did I miss it? Wasn't it fishers of men? Isn't the gospel commission to go win men and women to Jesus Christ? So this whole John 15 passage is about producing and capturing 
men's hearts for the kingdom of God. So the focus of the church prayer meeting must be the salvation of the lost. Or it's an aberration. And it destroys the possibility of revival. What's Christian teaching for? What's the preaching for? What are the classes for? To equip every member to be a soul winner. What is fasting for? It's for the salvation of the lost. Personal holiness is a witness to the world of the truth of the gospel. So holiness is to glorify God and to win the lost. The focus has to be removed from me. And in America, we're all about me. Revival will never come to America so long as the focus is on me. I have to be converted. I have to die. I have to be crucified with Jesus Christ. And my personal agenda has to be put aside. The focus is on Jesus and on the lost. God does not save a person so that they can wait on him. He saves them so that they can advance the kingdom of God on the earth. We are in a war to reclaim by the gospel the earth, to bring this planet from a state of rebellion to a state of obedience in Jesus Christ. The promises of God from Scripture are for the accomplishment of this mission. Now we enter into the divine nature according to Second Peter, the first chapter, by the great and precious promises of God. God promises he will supply everything we need to win the lost. And so soon, National Prayer Chapel is going to begin a series of revival meetings. We know that God is in the process now of opening a beautiful location for these revival meetings. God will send us sinners who want and need to be converted. He will pay for the facility. He will feed us while we work. Just like in the army, soldiers are taken care of by the commanding officer. So Jesus takes care of what he orders. He pays for what he orders. So let's be clear. Revival demands that conversion be happening instantly, not a long process. It's clear you will never grow out of your sin. That is an excuse to continue walking in your sin. We leave sin now. We cut it off. It's very clear 
that you cannot grow into entire sanctification. That too is in an instant. John Wesley called it crisis salvation and crisis sanctification. Now, another key understanding is that you cannot be nurtured out of your sin. So it's our task to simply present Jesus and the commands of Jesus. And his command is, repent and be converted. Leave your sin now. Repent and be converted. Many pastors are not converted. They're wonderful church people, and many people who attend church are not converted. Paul Washer, an evangelist, says 90% of those who are in church membership in America are not converted. What does he mean? He means they're continuing to walk in their sin. They have not been changed into new creatures in Christ Jesus. So, first, the command is be converted. Secondly, the command is go and win other people to the kingdom of God. Be a fisher of men. Now, you have to make a decision. Will you pray? Will you pray for the lost? And then will you go speak with them? Both. Not just one, both. There will be no success in revival without prayer. But there will be no success in revival if we just pray and don't do our duty to go and present the command of Jesus to the heart of those we love. So it is a cooperation. Revival is always a cooperation between us and God. Converts are referred to as children. The church is the bride. God is the husband. God gives his seed and the church gives birth. This is a mutual cooperation. We pray and we labor and God sends his spirit and he moves people to repent and be born again. God lives inside that new convert as he is brought into the church and he is made holy. Now there's a there's a story in the book of Matthew that I'd like to turn to. In Matthew let me turn to it quickly. Chapter twenty two. There's a parable that Jesus gives. He speaks about what the kingdom of heaven is like. Remember, in the New Testament, the kingdom of heaven is not referred to as a geographic location. It's 
It's the divine authority of God being exercised over a person's life. But he tells this parable to talk about that divine authority. He compared it to a king who prepared a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out all of his servants to call the ones having been invited to come to the wedding feast. But they weren't willing to come. He commanded the servant go out and and command them to come. But one man said, Look, I've already prepared my dinner, so I don't want to come and eat. My oxen and the fatted cattle have been slaughtered. Now that's the command of the king. Everything is prepared. Let me finish. Verse 5, But having paid no attention, they went their way, one to his own field and the other to his business. The others, having taken hold of his servants, mistreated and killed them. But the king, having heard, became enraged, sent his troops, destroyed those murders, and burned their cities. Okay, they chose to totally reject the revival call to come to the king's banquet. Then he said to his servants, Look, the wedding feast is ready. Go out and command everyone to come in. Go out in the thoroughfare, the streets. Invite them to the wedding feast. So they did so. And the wedding hall was filled. Now the king came into the wedding hall to see all of the people that had been invited. All of them were given a robe to wear, a beautiful robe. We're told in the book of Revelation that that robe is made up of the righteous deeds of the saints. The robe we wear does not cover dirt. The robe is literally made up of the righteous actions of God's people. Now the king entered He looked over the reclining guests. What does that mean? Well, it means in that culture, you reclined on your side and reached out in the middle to take the food that was there. They didn't have knives and forks and spoons. They ate with their hands and with bread. They drank from cups. And as he looks over this assembled banquet feast he sees a man not dressed in the wedding garment and so he went over and approached him and he said friend how did you enter here not having a wedding garment he was this king was willing to bring this man a wedding garment This king was willing to give this man righteous actions of a converted man. And the man was speechless. He had no reply. Because he had refused to come under obedience. He'd refused to come under the call to be converted. Instead, he preferred coming into the church 
and pretending that he was dressed like everybody else, but in fact he was naked. The king said to the servants, after having bound his feet and hands, pick him up, throw him out into the darkness, the furthest darkness you can throw him to. And Jesus said, there's going to be weeping and grinding of teeth. Now please hear me. We need revival. But revival is not some romantic idea. Revival can begin to happen right now, today, in your life. If you will simply understand that salvation is from sin and to righteousness or innocence. Revival happens when we make a conscious decision to stop the rebellion of our heart and come under obedience to Jesus. All sin is put away now. When all sin is put away now, we are describing that in various ways in the scripture, but Jesus referred to it with Nicodemus in John the third chapter as being born from above. Nicodemus, of course, took the position, how can I be born again? Well, Jesus wants you to be crucified with him to die and be resurrected as a new man, a new creature, a new person. Revival happens when a man or woman is born again, made into a new person by the work of Jesus. That comes out of confession of all sin and repentance and utterly cutting off the sin. The supernatural work of God moves into gear, and it changes us. Now, as a new creature in Christ, will we do our duty? Will we now recognize that our entire life is completely refocused to become a fisher of men, to win the lost? Do you see today plainly that the wages of sin is death? That all men are under the condemnation of death. The sentence of death has been pronounced by a just and holy God. The good news of the gospel is that there is a way of escape that has been made for you. You know, when I look in the scriptures, Revelation 21.8, 
the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murders, the whoremongers, the sorcerers, the idolaters, the liars. They'll have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. Revelation 21.8 Or if you look at Ephesians 5, 3-7 But fornication and all uncleanness, coveting, let it not once be named among you as become a saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient. Do you understand? I meet Christians all the time who call themselves Christians, but their mouth is full of jesting and joking and laughing. There is no soberness about them, and they are not involved in winning the lost, even for a moment. So they refuse to do their duty. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be ye therefore not partakers with them. Ephesians 5, 3-7. Wow. What are you going to do? Do you want revival? Do you agree with me today? I want revival with all my heart. I want the lost to be saved. I don't want to in any manner walk in the way of darkness or sin. I want Jesus. I want Jesus with all my heart. Do you? Are you willing to do whatever you need to do to begin to call the lost to Jesus? Are you interested in true revival in this nation are you willing to focus your time, your energy, your money on bringing forth revival? Will you pray? And will you do your duty? Will you do both? Will you sacrifice your time and your money to go sit down with that brother, that sister, and talk with them about their soul's condition? Will you go and pray with them Or don't you care? Do you think somehow they're going to muddle through? And that you're just going to love them and somehow they're going to be all right? Are you kidding? They're not going to be all right. There's a sentence of death on them. And if there's not a dramatic change in their hearts, if there's not a conversion in their soul, they're hell-bound. And what so concerns me are the many of you who call yourselves Christians, but you've never saved a soul. You've never spoken for Jesus in a way that brought a man or woman to Jesus Christ. You have no, you have no demonstration that you are a disciple of Jesus. Because you somehow believe that conversion did not happen in a moment and you just have to nurture people along and, and love them and Oh, you do have to love them, but you love them with the truth. You speak honestly with them. You don't lie to them. You don't go along to get along. So, today my question is, will you do your duty? If you're not converted, will you be converted? If you are 
Lord, will you do your duty and speak to those who are lost? Will you stand with us for revival? I'd like to hear from you. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Or you can come on Tuesday evening at 7.30 to pray, and we're going to pray for lost souls. We meet at the All Saints Anglican Church at 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22192. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You'll see there we have a builder's page. We're asking 100 people to give the offering of $100 as a one-time gift that this broadcast can go on Wava FM and reach a wider circle in the city and call them to repentance. Will you help us? Well, we're out of time. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, the pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. God bless you as you stand before the throne of God and face the condition of your heart. I'll talk to you soon. Jesus Christ alone.